Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Alexandra Robbins. She is the author of five New York Times bestselling books. She is an award-winning investigative reporter who has written for publications including the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic. Alexandra's latest book is The Teachers, a year inside America's most vulnerable, important profession. Welcome, Alexandra. Thanks for having me. So I want to start by quoting you to you because I felt like this wasn't on page one of the book, but I thought it was sort of the central point of the book when I read it. Teachers, you say, are among the most vital, hardworking, passionate and selfless members of our workforce, yet they are also among the most disrespected and undervalued. True. Whoever said that was wise. (laughs) (laughs) And Alexander Robbins knows what she's talking about. Rings a bell. Did you believe that going in? Did you seek to confirm that hypothesis or was that something that you discovered while working on this book? I believed it going in, but I didn't go into the book trying to prove any hypothesis. When I write books, I delve into a subculture and I immerse myself and I try to accurately represent the voices of the subculture who aren't usually heard and whose voices are dismissed or derided as teachers have historically been. So I really just wanted to represent what they told me and what they told me, yes, is what I believed, but there were also a lot of surprises. Things you learned along the way. And you followed three teachers over the course of the year. So tell us about the three teachers and what led you to follow these three. I knew readers would love Rebecca, Miguel, and Penny because they are relatable. They're dealing with things that everybody deals with. And sometimes I think people forget that teachers are humans with lives outside of school. Like I remember when... Especially, yeah. I mean, you run into that third grade teacher at this school and you're like, you need to eat? I mean, at the the grocery store and you're like, you need to eat? I remember when I was in elementary school and my mom and I ran into my teacher at the grocery store and I burst into tears because I could (laughs) not process that the teacher was outside of the school building and just did not compute. (laughs) So anyway, Rebecca is an elementary school teacher in on the East Coast. 
Penny is a middle school math teacher in the South, and Miguel is a special education teacher out West. And they're all dealing with different things. Penny was dealing with uh, toxic workplace clicks, which is something that I think a lot of women can relate to in mm. many different fields, and an unsupportive principal, which is more common, I think, than people realize that teachers don't really have any recourse when their principal is a schmuck. Gell was fighting a school board that was discriminating against special ed students, special ed teachers, special ed program. And so he had to become an activist on top of his full-time job as a teacher. And Rebecca hadn't had a date in five years because teaching was all-consuming in her life. In fact, her last boyfriend five years prior had broken up with her because he said she spent too much time teaching and didn't have enough time for him. So I followed her the year she went back into the dating pool to try and figure out if a teacher can actually have a work-life balance. I was amazed going through the book. So the book goes month by month through each of these teachers' lives and then sort of zooms out to make larger points that there are personal experiences that you're witnessing are sort of bringing up, like how, how those play out more widely. But I was so amazed by the access that these teachers gave you. I mean, you were in the staff rooms, you were in the IEP meetings. How did you gain that sort of trust and access? By now, this was my ninth book. So a lot of teachers are familiar with my work or, or were. Um, a couple of them have been taught in high schools around the country. And so I think it began with a level of trust because they knew I had a good reputation as a, as a reporter who listens and tries to present something accurately. I think Miguel was the only one who hadn't read my work, but I sent it to him and he looked me up and he felt comfortable once we got to know each other. All right. So what I want to do with you, Alexander, is go through some of the misconceptions, let's just call them, of the teaching profession and okay. how you saw them right play out for these teachers and for all of us. The first one is that summer vacation, which we're in right now, is the best part of being a teacher <laughs> because it's three months off. You don't have to do anything. In fact, some people are like, why are we paying them? They, it's three months vacation. Why should my tax dollars pay for that? Explain to us what the reality is. So they don't actually get paid for working 12 months if they don't work in a full year round school, which is some, so there are some year round schools, but not many. They get paid for the number of months they work, which is typically between nine and 10 or about 180 days. And then those paychecks are spread out around the mm. year. So they are not getting paid over the summer. In fact, approximately 70% of teachers have had to work a second and sometimes third job just to be able to continue to afford being a teacher. So those summers are important to teachers sometimes because they need to get another full-time job over the mm -hmm. summer just to keep sacrificing to be able to teach our nation's children. If they do not have another job, and even if they do, summers are often filled with uh, professional development, required courses they have to take in order to maintain their teaching license. Districts like to throw out new curricula every now and then just to see, you know, what's going to stick. And then teachers have to relearn everything. Principals or school systems can shift teachers kind of at their whim to different grades or subjects. And then those teachers have to redo their entire lesson plans. The summer actually goes by really quickly for teachers because there's still so much to do. Our, that ties into the second point, which is this idea of teachers as heroes and that it's not a job, it's a calling. It's almost like we think of them maybe along the same lines as we think of volunteers sometimes, like, oh, they're just doing it 
from the good of their heart. We see it very differently than like the person who say comes to repair the dishwasher. Yeah, we, well, teachers are, are important. They're crucial. And what they're doing is the work of teaching is beautiful. They are reaching out to and connecting with and nurturing and teaching and doing all these things for, you know, the future generations during their formative years, often spending even more time with a student during the day than the student's own parent does just because the student's in, in school for that long. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't get paid what a professional, Mm -hmm. trained, certified worker should be paid. So yes, what they do is beautiful and rewarding. And unfortunately, it the role seems to be requiring more and more sacrifice on their parts. But that doesn't mean they want to be heroes. They don't want to be martyrs. They want to be paid like everyone else. Right now, the the teacher pay gap in the U.S. has hit a record high. Teachers are paid approximately 24% less than professionals with similar education and experience. Mm-hmm. That's not right. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're giving ourselves a real pass, aren't we? When we're like, you, you know, you heroes, it reminds me of the sort of patronizing, like, thank you, essential workers that are now risking your lives to go to work every day. And you didn't really sign up for that when you were going to work at a Publix that you're going to be risking your life so I can have ice cream, right? Like, it was, we won't give you PPE, but we will tell you what a hero you are. And similarly, we're not paying teachers what they deserve, but we're telling them they're heroes. So that should be fine, right? That's compensation enough. There was this meme that was circulated during 2020 that was really popular on social media when the pandemic began. It said, teachers don't teach for the income, they teach for the outcome. And non-educators were like, oh, that's so sweet. So teachers cute. are the best yeah. <laughs> and let's buy them a car. And teachers were like, Hi, hello, like, I do want to get paid. Thank you. This is my job. Yeah, (laughs) right. It's a really important part of any job is the part where you get paid and you get paid well in relation to your education level. Right. We can be heroes and still be well compensated and well respected. And it sort of bends back on itself, doesn't it? When this whole like, you're a hero, but also I have no respect for you and those who can do and those who can't teach like how do you think it is that our society holds both of those disdain and you're such a hero how do those things work together at this point i think it's politicized i think Mm. that people have become so polarized in their perceptions of the education landscape that's what it's become but i do want to say just a quick measure of hope you know you hear a lot of negativity in the media about what the public is saying about teachers. Recent surveys show that 80% of parents who actually have school-age children are really happy with their Mm. local school system. All this negativity you hear in the media is mostly coming from people who aren't stakeholders. They are not parents of children who are actually in school. Mm. They are rabble-rousers. They are politically charged. They're focused on certain issues rather than the actual school system, and they're taking it out on teachers. So when you hear the negativity, take a closer look at who it's coming from, because Mm. by and large, school-age children and their parents are happy with their teachers and their schools. I want to talk when we come back more about this idea of expectations of teachers. We're talking to Alexandra Robbins, the author of The Teachers, and we'll be right back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew, and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies, and as soon as they start standing or walking, 
I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. In terms of expectations, another point that is very clear in your book is that the expectations that are now thrust upon teachers are so vast. It's almost mind boggling. And it brings in political. It brings in all of the different things that are now on teachers' plates. Is that something that the pandemic helped to highlight for people? Do you think that we saw a little bit more like the vast expectations that were on teachers? Yeah, the problems in education and the attitudes toward teachers and the working conditions for teachers were tanking long before the pandemic. What the pandemic did was sort of lay them bare for everyone to see. During the pandemic, we were able to see, oh, like teachers are necessary, not just for teaching our children, but also because they may be feeding food insecure kids. Yes. They're basically serving as social workers and counselors and yep. nurses because schools don't have enough. They are protecting kids from, uh, let's say, um, child abuse, neglect at home. They're sort of the front line to monitor that. Society has really placed a large burden on teachers that goes way beyond the teaching responsibility. I think one of the saddest examples of the way that teachers have to shoulder society's burdens is the way that they are expected to be the front lines in school shootings. The only difference between Sandy 
Hook in 2012 and the Robb Elementary School massacre in 2022, the only major substantive change in society was that teachers were trained to barricade the door and put themselves between the students and a bullet. And some schools and districts decided to arm their teachers. So that's like a perfect example of the way society fails and then expects teachers to clean up the mess. They keep mm. piling more and more responsibilities onto our nation's educators. Right. And they're meeting the problem with a teacher so late into the problem that like you're only now literally you're just a body to be thrown in the way of the yeah. bullet slash problem like yeah they're not fixing the problem there's really nothing to be done they're not fixing right you yeah. make the example in the book of teachers being having to choose between having windows and doors open for covid ventilation something else that we're just like figure it out should be fine we need our kids back in school so just kind of ventilate but then oh there's school shootings so maybe I should lock the windows and doors like they you can't do both things at once. And yet we're leaving it to them. Our expectations are completely unreasonable that they'll sort of thread that needle and keep our kids both safe from <laughs> airborne pathogens and safe from school shooters, which you can't do both. Right. Or they're ordered by their principal or the district to do one or the other. And they don't even get the oh. autonomy to make that decision for themselves and their own health. Yeah, there is a little bit of a a crisis point that we've reached. You, I'm quoting a statistic in the book that in 2022, there were over half a million fewer teachers in the United States than there were before the pandemic. And those numbers are continuing to trend in a not great way. But you make an important point about the teacher shortage that it's often framed incorrectly. Yeah, there's this narrative of blaming teachers. And I think the phrase teacher shortage is an example of that. There's not a shortage of people who are wonderful, willing, trained, experienced educators. They're there. There is a shortage of jobs that adequately treat, compensate, and respect these trained professionals such that they would want to be trained, uh, such that they would want to be teachers in the first place. So that's not a shortage of teachers. That's a job problem. But again, the way it's framed, teacher shortage makes it sound like, oh, they're just not stepping up. But that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. Lazy teachers don't want to do it. Yep. And it is kind of a, a circular problem in that the, there's fewer teachers every teacher is taking on more, like all of the problems then become exponential. They become increased for the people who stay in the profession, right? That's right. Penny, one of the teachers I followed regularly, either had to double up her math class, basically take on two classes and teach them as one, and or during her planning periods when she's supposed to be getting done her grading and planning lessons and so forth, she had to go cover other teachers' classes very frequently. And that's something that a lot of teachers have had to be uh, doing, especially more and more in recent years. It makes me think about during the pandemic how, like speaking of unreasonable expectations, that a teacher... From in my daughter's case, you know, like a fifth, sixth grade teacher was supposed to be teaching a full classroom experience for the eight or 10 kids who were able to show up that day and or whose parents wanted them in the building and a full online experience concurrently for the other half of the class that was at home. You can't do it, right? I mean, and it's sort of like the proof is in the pudding. It kind of plays out like I can't, I can't do both things at once successfully. And many young children don't learn that well online. But it wasn't the teacher's fault, but we were just sort of like, here, solve this unsolvable problem, hero, right? That we don't pay enough. We believe in you. And that's not that's not sufficient support. 
That's right. It's impossible to do. I'm a substitute teacher and I subbed hybrid. They had, they came up with these, all these euphemisms. The hybrid, right. Oh, it's concurrent learning. Oh, it's hybrid learning. No, it stinks. It's trying to teach <laughs> two classes at the same time and you can't address both classes simultaneously. And there are always a group of kids who feel like they are not being seen or heard or responded to. It's, it is impossible to do. <laughs> Let's talk for a minute about special ed. I'm a mom of two special ed students, and that is somewhere where you talk about the shortages being even more profound. And I think it can be something for parents who don't need special ed. It, It becomes kind of this invisible lane where it's not necessarily in everybody's sight line, but for parents and kids who really need supportive education for their kids who learn differently or their kids who have different learning needs, it is vital in terms of not just outcomes, but experiences in school. And so um, tell us what you learned about about special ed. I mean, I, I learned a, a, a ton. Basically, following Miguel throughout that year was, it was really eye-opening. Um, there are so many misconceptions about special ed students. Um, There's so many discriminatory things going on where districts aren't providing enough resources, aren't providing enough uh, paraprofessionals in the classroom. Um, They either push inclusion without providing the proper staff necessary Mm -hmm. or they keep students out of the general ed classes because they just want to silo them or in the case of some charter schools, um, the charter schools who are able to may in some cases be um, shoving aside special ed students because they don't want their scores to count in their statistics and then they become what Miguel called charter school refugees who then go back to public school where then the resources aren't so great and it's just this this cycle. Um, Special education teachers are, they're, they work, all teachers work hard, but special education teachers do so much more than people realize because they're not just teaching children, they're also trying to address each child's different needs. And if you have, you know, 16 special ed students uh, in a classroom and you're trying to monitor them all and you're trying to watch behavior and keep them safe and healthy and happy and learning, um, it's a lot. And, and they can do it, uh, but they need the proper resources and support from their school districts and their schools. Absolutely. Well, in our part three of our episodes, we like to turn towards solutions. So when we come back, you're going to solve all of the problems we've listed and tell us how we're going to move forward from here. We're talking to Alexandra Robbins, the author of The Teachers. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different and fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So, Alexandra, I'm going to give you another quote from your book. This sets up the problem neatly. You say, teachers' working conditions had already deteriorated before the pandemic, and they won't resolve, you say, unless decision makers commit to making sweeping long-term changes. So let's talk about who's a decision maker and what are some of these sweeping changes that they might consider. Sure. Well, uh, school system officials, you know, superintendents, school boards, um, in some cases, principals, because one principal can change the culture of an entire school. I've talked to plenty of teachers who had an amazing administrator who somehow made the idea that the district is telling the teachers to do more with less, which is all too often, all too common phrase um, among education. They somehow made it bearable. Um, mm. And then I talked to plenty of teachers who, with one new principal in their school, the entire culture goes downhill and the idea of autonomy and collaboration and warmth just goes out the window and teachers end up fleeing the school because they can't deal with this one toxic administrator. Um, so it, it, the, the decision makers can range, let's say, from the principal to the school board to the superintendents to local politicians to state politicians all the way up the chain. Um, I forget your second question. <laughs> well, I think I'll jump in there and say it's interesting because I think a lot of times we say we want to broaden out to solve some of these problems. You know, we don't want it to be just the teacher uh, during a school shooting. That's the last possible line of defense. We want to back up. But what we've seen sometimes is that when we back stuff up to the government level, more problematic things come in, like uh, the don't say gay legislation in Florida and kind of legislators trying to control what happens in a classroom that they're very detached from. So 
is there a way to bridge that conflict where like, yes, we want legislators doing more for teachers, but some of the things we've seen, we're like, no, we want you doing much less of that. Yeah. Yeah. Parents are the bridge. Mm-hmm. As we discussed um, earlier in this show, the majority of parents support teachers. Mm-hmm. What most people who support teachers don't know is that there are things you can do to actually support the profession and to actually make sure that policies are being made that include and accept and embrace all children Mm. and make all children feel comfortable and seen in their classroom and in the school. It is time for parents to stand up for teachers, to speak out for them, to go to the school board meetings and speak in support of teachers. Um, What's going on now in this political politicized landscape is there's a very coordinated movement to, and I know this sounds like a conspiracy, but it's not. They're out to destroy public schools. This idea that they're trying to ban books, that's just sort of a small part of it. They want to stop teaching about racism in American history. I think the issue with some of those legislations being suggested at the school board level even if they're well-intentioned by the people creating them, even if I agree or disagree with the intention, they're so vaguely written and so broadly written that it's leading to a teacher being fired for showing a Disney movie in her classroom because somebody decided it ran afoul of this. Or um, you're fired because I think the poem read at the last presidential inauguration is critical race theory, you know, which you really have to only if you look at the color of the person who wrote the poem. But things like that, they're so broadly written that anybody's in trouble uh, or any parent can report a teacher for being gay, not at school and not talking about it at school and they can get fired. Like the, the loopholes in them are so great. The teachers we care about have to sort of walk this firing line every day that's completely unreasonable. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think that legislators are taking advantage of parents by calling their measures parents' rights. And parents think, oh, yeah, like I should have rights. And I want rights. I want rights. Right? Who doesn't want rights? But then what happens is a parent might say, oh, yeah, like I don't want my child. And this, this is a true story. A parent might say, I don't want my child reading the diary of Anne Frank because it's porn that actually happened. The teacher actually got an email from a parent. But then the parent then tries to stop all children everywhere from Mm. having access to that important book. And so, and the politicians are sort of galvanizing parents by saying it's okay to decree what all students can read or what all students can learn or what all students can discuss in the classroom. So I think parents are kind of getting suckered into this and they may not understand that they're part of a movement that is much more damaging to their child and Mm. all students than they realize. Right. So when you talk about parental involvement, like some of this is over parental involvement again, like the things that we see going on at school board meetings and the kind of news making like big kind of crazy protests around seemingly maybe crazy issues. Is it your sense that there's a kind of a fat part of the bell curve where reasonable parents can get more involved in schools and school boards and sort of help? raise funding and do the more positive work that needs to be done? 
Yes, thank you. That gets me back to where I was going. I forgot where I was going. Great. I promise, listeners, I'm better on paper. (laughs) So the people who are currently trying to damage the school system, the the people who are going to school board meetings and loudly and aggressively speaking out against schools and against teachers are the fringe. They're Mm. not even a strong minority. They're a small fringe, but they are coordinated Mm. and they are loud and they are aggressive. So... If the majority of people who actually support schools were to also go to school board meetings, start petitions, ask teachers how they feel about a certain stance that the school board is taking or a superintendent's proposal, and then if they were to email the board or testify or write an op-ed or start a movement in support of what the teachers want, that's what teachers need right now. Teachers aren't able to to proactively go to parents and say how they actually feel about what's going on in their schools or what's going on in their school district because they're afraid of retaliation. Teachers Mm. are afraid to speak up because in this political landscape, they feel that they could be fired. But if a parent goes up to a teacher and says, how do you feel about this? Or can I help fight for something? Do you need something? Can I lobby for something? Like, Can I start a group of parents to speak up for you. It turns out that politicians and school boards are more likely to listen to parents than they are to teachers. So Mm. this is the time when we need to stand up for our educators. What do you think that the teachers in our kids' lives wish we understood? I think that teachers wish we understood that teaching consumes their lives. They don't shut off at the end of the school day. Even, let's say, when they're done with grading and lesson plans and figuring out all they need to figure out for the next school day, they're always thinking about other people's children. Hmm. Like They're up in the middle of the night thinking, how can I better reach this other person's child? Or what can I do that would engage this person's child? You know, things like that. And I think people forget that teachers do so much and put so much of themselves out there for other people's children. When they have their own children, they have their own families, they have their own issues, they have health issues, you know, sandwich generation, caring for ailing parents, caring for immunocompromised kids, you know, busy parents, just like everybody else. So they're doing so much on top of what they already do. And so I think if they could all use more grace than people give them. Mm. That's really well said. And I think it's it makes a lot of sense. And I do think that there's been somewhat of a break. I mean, I'm speaking completely anecdotally from my own life that the pandemic kind of broke me back from my kids schooling in a way that I've kind of stayed leaned out of. And it's a good reminder to kind of put teachers and schools back on my radar I kind of got a little I mean for all the horrible things I got a little spoiled of like I wasn't going to pick up every day I wasn't checking in with the kid you know I wasn't as invested and I started leaning more on things like the portal but the portal doesn't tell you like how's it really going in the school what's really going on and so it's a very needed reminder to reconnect 
even small gestures can help. Write a note to your teacher or mm. to your child's teacher, just saying what you appreciate about them. Some parents don't think to contact a teacher unless they're angry or upset or complaining. Just send them something positive. Tell them something good that they're doing. You know, drop off bagels in the staff lounge or bring them a treat, like parent-teacher conference, like bring them cookies or something. Mm. Like they, it, Even just a little gesture like that keeps them going. Ask teachers what classroom supplies they need and then see if you can find them on buy nothing or fundraise mm. for them or buy them yourself or ask neighbors to put up a collection. 94% of teachers pay for their own class supplies and they do not make a lot of money, people. So they shouldn't be having to do this. They spend an average of $500 a year. Another easy thing that parents can do is just basically trust the teacher. These are the professionals who are trained and certified to educate students students and we need to let them do that without second guessing them. So even just saying in front of your child, hey, you know what? I trust your teacher. If your child's complaining about an assignment, just say, you know what? I trust that there's a reason for that. That is not only good for the teacher, it's also good for the child because then the child goes into school feeling better about the adult who's supervising their classroom. We've been talking to Alexandra Robbins. She's the author of The Teachers, A Year Inside America's Most Vulnerable, Important Profession. Alexandra, tell our listeners, both where they can find the teachers and where they can find your work and what you're working on now. Oh, you can find the teachers at any bookstore online or brick and mortar. I actually have stopped writing books because I don't want to move on from the issue of the teachers. I think Mm. it is too important and too urgent a problem to move on from. So as I am telling people it's time to stand up for teachers, that's where I'm focusing my efforts as well and focusing on trying to merge community ally groups with educators so that we can get non-educators to amplify teachers' voices. So where can we find you online if you want to follow that work? Oh, I'm on Instagram. My name on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or alexandrarobbins.com is an easy way to find me too. Fantastic. We will link to all of those places and to where you can buy the book. And Alexandra, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alexandra. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, 
a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.